0: From Flourish DX, this is the Psych, Health, and Safety Canada podcast. With workplace mental health becoming a priority for businesses who want to retain staff and prevent burnout, this is the source of information for creating sustainable and psychologically healthy workplaces in Canada. Hi, and welcome to the Psych, Health, and Safety in Canada podcast. I'm your host, Marianne Baton. And the aim of this podcast is to share practical knowledge about how to protect psychological health and safety in workplaces. Each week, we'll have interesting guests from across Canada and even beyond, who will share tips and strategies uh, for those who want to make a positive difference in their workplaces. And today, I'm really thrilled to announce that my guest is Dr. Ian Arnold. Welcome, Ian. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved with psychological health and safety?
1: Interesting question, Marianne. I actually have been involved in workplace uh, health and safety for um, probably, well, since 1978 or so, or maybe a bit earlier. And in my early days of working in occupational health and safety, we set up uh, an employee assistance program for the company that I was working for. And I suppose that was the the first introduction to, at least uh, from a small perspective, to workplace psychological health and safety. Uh, Fast forward a number of years, and uh, I was asked to be involved with the Mental Health Commission of Canada's uh, Workforce Advisory Committee, And after a short period of time, was asked to chair that committee. So that's really where I got very solidly involved. And that was in 2007.
0: So that
1: was the start.
0: Yeah, we were just having a conversation about your leadership in that position when we were really all pioneering. We didn't know for sure what we were doing. But with your leadership, um, we were able to accomplish a lot with that little committee. Um, and, uh, it was, it was an honor to serve under your leadership for the workforce advisory committee.
1: Thank you. And, and, and I think the operative word here is that we were able to accomplish a lot and it's we, because we had a fantastic team. Uh, it wasn't just the leadership, it was the whole team working together that really made the, made the difference.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's what we say. We're so lucky to be in this field because it attracts um well-intentioned uh positive passionate people so it's it's a real plus so i know the story ian but i want to hear you tell it for how we went from a workplace the workforce advisory committee with the mental health commission in canada to a national standard on psychological health and safety can you take us down that road
1: sure If I look back at some of the early records, uh, which is a fascinating trip to be on, actually, in the early days of the Mental Health Commission around June of 2008, the Workforce Advisory Committee uh, talked about the need for a framework document uh, that dealt with the key areas of workplace psychological health and safety. The framework that was envisaged at the time was something that would conform with form with the systematic approach that many workplaces used for uh, managing environment and managing product quality um, through the ISO 14,000 series of documents and the ISO 9,000 series of documents. We had a in, in mid-2009, you and myself and Martin Shane met together and we uh, This led to a rather well attended consensus meeting held in Vancouver in November of 2009. Uh, The meeting was sponsored by the uh, Workforce Advisory Committee the Mental Health Commission and Great West Life. And there were multiple stakeholders from all walks of life, people from police, people from uh, healthcare, people from uh, the working uh, side of, of organizations and these folks got together and at the end of a two day period came up with a a statement which was developed after after this two days of discussion. Interestingly, it was supported by all attendees, unanimous consent was obtained. And I think it's worthwhile reading that statement um, into the record here. It is our vision to see the development of a national standard of Canada on psychological health and safety in the workplace by December 1, 2011, we didn't quite make it, an uptake by employers uh, resulting in a measurable improvement in psychological health and safety within three years of that date. So this is how it all started. And in early 2010, the MHCC, the Canadian Standards Association, the Bureau de Normalisation du Québec, Uh, agreed to develop a standard with support from Great West Life, uh, now Canada Life and Bell Canada. Uh, The rest of course is history. Uh, We did not succeed with our 2011 deadline, but did launch the standard in 2013. So after three years of very intensive development, consultation and engagement from all sorts of parties. And I remember that we had close to a thousand comments and feedback at one point that we had to go through to, uh, to finalize the uh, the standard. So that's yeah. the background.
0: We were impressed with that feedback that so many people were interested in what we were doing and the impact that it would have on Canadian businesses. It was uh it was really reinforcing, I think, for us to understand the interest that was out there.
1: It was. And I think that that sort of helped the team move forward, too, in the development of the standard.
0: Yeah. So, Ian, with um, the, the standard in place, um, a lot of people think, well, that's the only way to have psychological health and safety is if you complete the standard, but you were doing it before the standard existed and there's many other ways, but I know that your particular um, preference is that it's a very systematic approach. And can you talk a little bit more about why a systematic approach is important for continual improvement?
1: Well, I, I'm struck by the fact that a lot of workplaces are are pretty well accustomed to managing matters in a systematic approach. Uh, They use a rough uh, approach called plan, do, check, act in a lot of their areas of work. Uh, Psychological health and safety falls nicely into the same approach methodology and uh, We find that approach methodology repeated in a number of the global standards that are out in the workplaces of the present time, plus standards that have evolved in particular in specific countries like in Canada. Uh, The basic elements of, of these standards are systematic and they're sequential. You start with policy, commitment, engagement, you move to planning, you move to implementation, And then you evaluate and look at potential corrective action, and then you review and drive continual improvement. So along that continuum, you can, there's opportunity for change, there's opportunity for review, there's opportunity for planning. So I think that that There's a very clear and appropriate starting point, and that is making sure that, that you have good commitment and engagement from top decision makers. Now, when I talk about top decision makers, I don't just mean the president or the vice presidents of the organization. But if there's organized labor involved in the workplace, then the heads of that organized labor should also be part of that decision making process and supportive and committed to moving forward. So that to me is the starting point. And once you get there, then you can move to the planning step. And from my perspective, moving through a planning process to assess the needs of the workers and the needs of the organization is a key uh, step to identify areas that have to be improved in your workplace. Uh, it also helps the organization in its priority setting so it doesn't go for the flavor of the month type of approach which is one of the one of the concerns that as a health professional in work, in workplace occupational health and psychological health and safety i'm always concerned about uh organizations reading something about some particular uh, approach for mental health in the workplace, feeling that, that that's that's all they need to do and taking up that flavor of the month. Uh, what that invariably does is that it fails after a period of time because it does not necessarily address the needs of the workers or the needs of the workplace.
0: The- yeah, I think that that's such an important point, Ian. I know Um, that often it's with good intentions that they'll bring a speaker in or they'll uh, run a workshop on some topic and uh, with really good intention, but it's not dealing with the root cause. And I remember when we were sitting around the table to create the standard, and I think the comment was made, this isn't rocket science. It's the way we treat each other every day at work. That's what it's about. And it's um, so important, as you say, this plan, do, check, act is is first figure out what's really going on, then yes. implement something, but measure it because it may or may not work. It may or may not have the impact that you want it to. And I can think of um, several cases where with great intentions, uh, employers, employers, purchased a program or an initiative and it backfired on them. Um, Have you ever had experiences like that?
1: Personally, no, but I've certainly seen examples where organizations have brought in uh, specific programs. For example, uh, uh, I think of diet and nutrition programs in an organization where there looks as though there's a need. But is there a desire to participate? And very often, the people that participate in those programs or in the in the exercise programs are those that are already doing those exercises and, and looking after their nutrition. And you don't get to the people who aren't. So yes, those are the types of examples I've seen out there. And uh, it's it's too bad if the if you're not going to reach the people who need the need the. Uh, need some help in that area, then why waste your money putting it in place?
0: Right, right. And in a workplace where there's, um, you know, unresolved conflict, a lot of stress, a lot of chaos, a lot of unreasonable demands. And we say, let's eat apples and do jumping jacks. It doesn't, (laughs) doesn't quite get at it. And so you've got a concept that you like to talk about, about embedding psychological health and safety and business as usual rather than slapping on an additional program can you talk about that
1: yeah I just wanted to mention in in closing out on the systematic approaches the the need to when you do implement programs that you've decided are needed, to make sure you have a measurement component to those programs so that you can follow them and go through a proper review process and then drive continual improvement with that review process.
0: So sorry, Uh, before we get to the embedding then, can I ask you a little bit more? Because often people say, well, I evaluated and I know that 50 people participated Mm -hmm. or that they said they had a good time. That's not what you're talking about um, when you're talking about evaluation. Can, so can you expand a little bit more on how we know that our initiatives had the results that we need?
1: Well, there's, there's two aspects to that. One is to go back to your planning, uh, for the findings from your planning process and see if there's been a change in the findings that drove you to implement that particular program a measurable change. For example, if people were saying that they found that the workplace was extremely anxious and this was a prevalent finding in the planning process in your surveys. Uh, you redo that survey and you find out that the number of people or the rate of people feeling anxiety has either increased or decreased. And that's a measure of whether the program has been effective or not effective in, in meeting that particular uh difficulty that's been uh, been found in the planning process. Uh, another is to build in measures, uh, pre and post measures. When you start a program, you ask people specific questions about whatever aspect that your program addresses. It could be a a nutritional program, it could be an exercise program, it could be stress-related, but you ask particular questions relative to the topic. And then in regular intervals, say in a year or two years, you re-ask the same questions of the same people and see if there's been a change. So it's not just the number that attend, It's whether there's measurable change in the way they're feeling uh, at the beginning of the program, from the beginning of the program, or from the uh, findings of the planning sessions.
0: Yeah, it's also the way that you get buy in from the top is being able to prove that you made measurable change, that you had the outcomes that you were looking for. So it's important. So thanks for that. But let's go back now to how we embed psychological health and safety into business as usual for organizations?
1: Well, that's a, it's an interesting question because I think it ties to uh, the question of leadership and responsibility as well in the organization. And there is a difference between leadership and responsibility because leadership can come from very many different parts of an organization. And you may have a team that's, that's working on your standard implementation or your program implementations. And that team uh, members of so the members should be representative of cross section. And if they're keen and, and forward-looking, they're gonna be dedicated to promoting, implementing and maintaining a sustainable uh, psychological health and safety approach. I mentioned leadership though is different from responsibility because there is the responsibility to ensure that systems are are implemented, resourced and maintained has to rest with senior management. They have the the resource uh, background, they have control of resources and it's up to them to ensure the proper resources are in place so that the, um, the system contains. Uh, that includes visible support, of course, from senior management. All of this to say that once you've once you've got that, uh, you've got that sustainability, you've got the leadership, you have people who are taking responsibility. It makes it much easier to ensure that psychological health and safety is part of the day to day ongoing business process in the organization, and. And once it's built in as part of the organization's sustainability and overall business success, it's going to move forward. Um, we know that organizations that do well do so in all spheres, including psychological health and safety, financial returns, worker retention, all these areas, health and safety is another one, and also in public acceptance and, and, and share shareholder and return. So if you can embed psychological health and safety as part of everyone's responsibilities, not for funding it, not for making sure it goes forward, but as part of everyone's almost leadership. Everyone becomes a leader in psychological health and safety. Everyone takes it on as part of their daily activities. Another way to do that is that to get embedded is to make psychological health and safety, a, a measure for uh, people's uh, programming and responsibility on an annual basis? Have they met the measures that may include a psychological health and safety measurement in their annual assessments? So, so there's lots performance of Performance
0: review, for instance. Performance
1: review, exactly.
0: Yeah. Um, I remember Ian sitting in the Calgary airport lounge with you. And mm-hmm. we were looking at all the different ways that we could embed psychological health and safety into policy. And the way that we ended up doing it, and that's still on the Workplace Strategy site um, psychological health and safety policy recommendations. But the way we did it is through the entire employment life cycle. And the discussion that we had was if you actually embed it in policy, and there's a change in leadership, it's not all lost. And uh, I think that particular issue about change in leadership, about changes in champions for psychological health and safety, has um, stopped many an initiative. And can you speak a little bit about how to? prepare for that eventuality so that uh, psych health and safety doesn't go out the door with the champion.
1: Uh, You're you're quite right. I mean, there have been a number of studies which have shown that the psychological health and safety can disappear if the the champion disappears. But I think if organizations develop good teamwork and drive the process through a multi disciplinary team from all parts of the, of the workplace, then then there's a greater opportunity for it to succeed. It also, if it becomes embedded in the business process as part of business uh, on a day-to-day basis, as part of performance appraisal, uh, it's hard for it to disappear. Um, it It disappears when there is one person leading the charge and they're driving everything and they're taking all the responsibility and they're taking all the actions and if without them uh, it's a singularly driven uh, approach and that's good to get things going but it may not sustain it and that's why teamwork is so essential and why involving all levels across the organization and embedding the the psychological health and safety in the business process is so essential too. Um, that's how we sustain it. Uh, it's like everything else. I mean, our organizations uh, sustain many systems in health and safety and environment, in quality, in finance, and they do so because they're part of the business process. Um, there's no reason why psychological health and safety shouldn't be part of the business process, as I mentioned earlier. Organizations with great PHS also are usually have great approaches in environment and health and safety and finance and shareholder return and in public acceptance of the organization. So, so so you're saying,
0: yeah, that this is not about being nice, that it is about being an astute business person.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. There's some excellent studies, um, some quite recent ones on. On the value of just such an approach.
0: Yeah. Now, one of the things that you did, and it was close to when we were finishing up the standard, and you said we really should have an audit tool, something that people can see where they're at. And you made that available to everyone to sort of check through it. What's been your experience with uh, a company going and using that audit tool for the very first time?
1: Um, it, that's an interesting question, Marianne, because uh, I developed the audit tool because that was my background as a health and safety professional and that we did auditing on all our systems. And an auditing tool can, can do two things if properly constituted. It can identify where you are with respect to the requirements of a standard, for example, and it can identify some of the gaps which may be present in your workplace as well. And so I believe a lot of organizations that use the audit tool found to their surprise that they were actually maybe 30, 40, 50% along the road to implementing a standard. And that was a very positive outcome for them because they'd looked at the standard and they'd said, oh my God, we'll never get this done. And lo and behold, they realized they were part way there already. And so it made the the whole process that much
0: easier. Yeah. And that's been my experience too. People say they are pleasantly surprised that We've been doing these things for decades. We just didn't always call it psychological health and safety, but it is improving and supporting that. If you're talking today, Ian, in your own words, to somebody who doesn't know what psychological health and safety is, how would you describe it?
1: Hmm. I have to think about that for a minute. I I would say it's has two major components, if you like. One relates to the individuals who work in a workplace and how they feel about the workplace and how their own health factors impact their ability to work in the workplace uh, and how these are accommodated if they have to be uh, to help them work better. Uh, the other is the sort of attitude or approach taken by the organization is the organization itself psychologically safe? do they have processes in part in place that address uh, some of the issues that cause psychological problems in work workplaces uh, issues such as job demand such as overtime such as, uh, stress, such as inadequate leadership. Um, so there's those two components. There's the individual component and the, and the organizational component. And I think you need to work on both those aspects to have a psychologically safe and healthy workplace.
0: Yeah, to help those that need the help, but to protect everybody on a, exactly. on a broader basis. So Ian, when you look back, you know, from when you started, Um, as an occupational uh, health physician to being the leader on the workforce advisory to being part of making a standard to today, what do you think has actually measurably changed? In me or in workplaces? In, in workplaces. <laughs> <laughs> Although if you want to talk about you, you can. But yeah, no, I was, I was leading you to the workplace changes.
1: I think the workplaces have, have evolved over a period of time. When I started in, in occupational health and safety, uh, there were a lot of issues in workplaces related to Exposures to toxic materials, exposures to dusts, exposures to solvents, uh, these types of things that were leading to um, significant health problems, uh, asbestos and and related lung cancers that developed from it, um, kidney disease from solvents, uh, uh, bladder cancer from exposure to polyaromatic hydrocarbons. Over the last 40 years, there's been so much better understanding of these hazards and their risks, and these have become far better controlled. Only in the last 15 to 20 years have people recognized the fact that that there are significant hazards that affect individuals' mental health or psychological health, if you like. And systems have been developed to try and address these, to try and control these. And that's the new frontier on occupational health at the present time. We can't let our guard down against the toxic substances, which are still out there. We still need the material safety data sheets. We still need industrial hygienists to measure uh, potential for toxic exposures. But we also need to look at the the mind and the mental health of individuals. Uh, We have an interesting conundrum in the health and safety world in that there's been significant um, improvement over the last 20 to 30 years in measures such as recordable case rates or lost time injury rates. But there's been no improvement in fatalities. And you wonder whether aspects of mental health aren't playing a role in some of these fatalities and whether this needs to be further looked into. So we're, we're at a stage where we've got to try and make some changes from a psychological health and safety perspective for both the individuals in the workplace, the workers themselves, and for the organizations if they want to succeed and be sustainable.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, you're reminding me of a concept that um, Andrew Harkness brought forward to the standard committee, which is that if we don't feel physically safe, we are not psychologically safe. So even if you have every health and safety regulation in place, that idea of not feeling safe can lead to more injury um, and more illness. And that may have something to do with those rates that you're talking about.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that when, when organizations are in transition, when they're being bought and sold, when uh, there's upturns and downturns in the economy and layoffs and new hires, uh, these are periods of time where we know that, that injuries tend to increase and, and probably absence tends to increase because there's more stress in the workplace as well. So you're quite right. Those are, those are considerations. Mm-hmm. Having a good physically safe workplace is very important to having a good mentally safe workplace.
0: Mm-hmm. And would you say, Ian, that you've noticed any positive trends since the uh, launch of the standard in 2013?
1: The awareness of psychological health and safety in the workplace has certainly increased significantly in many workplaces in Canada. Um, Perhaps not surprisingly, some of what I would term as hard industries, mining, forestry, uh, manufacturing, probably have not moved forward as much as some of the softer industries, industries such as uh, the service industries, airlines, uh, hotels, hospitals, uh, governments, uh, police, they've all moved forward pretty well, I think, or a number of them have. They've implemented programs that they felt were needed and they've changed the, the climate of their organizations. Uh, I look at NAV Canada with its peer support program, for example, as, an, as a good example of a change in an organization. Um, the, the harder industries, the, the, the more um, mining resource-based type industries are slower on the uptake, but they are getting there. I'm seeing changes in some of the industries that I have worked with recently, and there's more awareness, even in globally, I'm finding changes and more awareness of psychological health and safety in places that I had not expected it. So it, it is coming, and it's not just Canadian, it's global.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, because I mean, the stereotype is that the mining industry is more male dominated, and therefore, you know, a little more um, command and control kind of model. But then we look at the military, and we look at the police forces, and they're able to start to uh, go towards psychological health and safety. But you mentioned, Ian, um, NAV Canada's peer support program. And for our listeners who aren't familiar with what a peer support program is. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Sure. It was one of the uh, one of the three areas that the Workforce Advisory Committee uh, identified as an area that needed further development and we were fortunate to have um, uh, retired Lieutenant Colonel Colonel Stéphane Grenier as one of our members of the workforce advisory committee and Stéphane had developed a peer support program in the Canadian Armed Forces uh, before his retirement and peer support programs uh, from a mental health perspective are programs where peers are trained and peers are defined as people who have had lived experience with mental health or psychological health challenges and are in recovery and they go through a training process to become peer supporters and then they become available to help others um, in the workplace in their workplace who are experiencing problems it's fascinating that since the names of peer supporters are often known in workplaces that people will volunteer because it means that that they're saying they're declaring themselves as reco- as people in recovery, people with lived experience. And it's interesting also that that for peers su- to be, have a peer supporter really makes a significant difference to somebody who's experiencing mental health uh, challenges. Um, I know that there's been a number of of, uh, incidents of suicide that have been prevented over the years by peer supporters. And so it's, it's one of those processes. And it's, it's, not, a, um, it's not a full uh, psychological health and safety approach, but it's one of those processes which does have value as a tool to improve psychological health and safety for people who are experiencing challenges and can be assisted by others uh, who are in recovery and have, have done well.
0: So you've explained that the difference between just a friend reaching out and a peer supporter is that they actually have training, they have, you know, a process that they're trained in and uh, guidelines. But what's the difference between a peer supporter and say a counsellor?
1: Good, good question. Peer supporters are not counsellors, they are friends, but they are friends who've been been down the road already. And, and they know some of the challenges and the pitfalls and they can help people navigate uh, through some of the challenges that they're going to face in getting care in moving forward and dealing with family. They're not counselors. Counselors are professionals who are trained to provide counseling and uh, who have a different perspective on things. They're not there as someone you meet at the local uh, donut shop uh, over a coffee to chat about things. They're somebody you meet in an office or in a home setting to obtain professional opinions and, and uh, ideas for moving forward. So mm-hmm. it's quite, quite a different approach.
0: Yeah, I think the two things that peer supporters do um, especially well is they normalize what somebody's going through because they've been through something similar and they certainly know others who have gone through similar situations. So it's not, you're the only one who's experiencing this, but I think they also give a lot of hope, hope that one day you will feel better and you will be able to help others and you will be able to manage that. You're not going to stay whether it's in depression or anxiety or whatever it is forever that there, there is a path forward. So I think those programs um, also relieve some of the leaders for having to approach somebody that first time, because the peer supporters um, have an easier in than a leader. Okay.
1: And Romeo Delaire, who's one of the leading peer supporter advocates in, in Canada, or has been over the years, a former general um, in the Canadian Armed Forces, always talks about the three legged stool. And his three legged stool included medication, professional support uh, from a psychiatrist or counselor, and peer support. And uh, those were the three legs that kept him on the on the on the level and moving forward. So it's. Peer support alone is, well, I wouldn't say it's useless at all, but it's part and parcel of the approach of of team care uh, for individuals. uh, That includes medication and professional support as well as peer support.
0: Great. Are there other programs or um, initiatives or approaches that you particularly feel can be helpful in workplaces other than peer support?
1: That, that depends upon what the workplace finds in their planning process. I mean, obviously, if there's uh, a workplace where there's significant depression, and then some programs that deal, deal with depression can be very helpful. If anxiety is an issue, then let's go for programs that, that work on anxiety or meca- mechanisms that can decrease anxiety in, in individuals. The program may be, may be a program where you, where the organization needs to look at, at their training of, of leaders and how leaders handle things and how leaders handle handle the workers that are working with them. So there's a number of different programs and there's lots of programs out there um, that can be of assistance to workplaces. And you know as well as I do that, that one of the great sources of information is Canada Life and and the website that they put up. So, um, you know, there's, it, it's loaded with all sorts of ideas that individuals can use to move things forward.
0: But your point is well taken, that doesn't matter how good a program is, if it's not addressing the most significant need, then you're putting a bandaid on a broken leg. And it's, it's just not the right approach. And so I, I think that's is so critical. Now, Ian, since the release of the standard, um, which, you know, we've been talking about, we're going to open it up in the next 18 months, we're going to look at it to see if it is as inclusive as we want it to be. We're going to look to see if um, it is as easy as possible for employers to implement and to complete the documentation. We're going to um, look to make sure that it uh, covers uh, as many different sectors as possible. But the other thing we're looking at is whether or not it um, aligns with the new ISO standard 45003, which you worked on. And I'm wondering if you could tell me what parts of 45,003 you would really like to see considered for our national standard on psychological health and safety in the workplace.
1: Sure. Um, I'm not going to go into a, a long review of both standards. that I- could take forever and would be very boring for the audience. Uh, There's some aspects of both standards, however, where there are significant differences, but I would caution that these differences don't change the intent of the management system approach that both standards have. And because of that, I think the standards are really fairly compatible. Uh, One of the main differences in terminology is that The Canadian standard speaks about hazards as psychological health and safety hazards and risks. On the other hand, the ISO standard uses the term psychosocial hazards and risks and broadens the impact of these hazards to state, and and I quote, psychosocial risks affect both psychological health and safety and health, safety and well-being at work more broadly. So there's that expansion of including the health, safety, and well-being at work as part of the standard, which is I think somewhat different than the Canadian standard, although it also aims to improve well-being through the through supportive approach that it takes. Um, both documents it do indicate that psychological um, health and mental health are considered interchangeable and have the same meaning for the purposes of their respective standards. One of the areas that I noticed that in developing the the, uh, ISO 45003, the ISO standard, is how uh, factors that impact psychological health and safety are addressed. The Canadian standard, there are 14 factors, 13 of these arise from uh, guarding minds at work, which is an excellent approach to determining what the needs are in a workplace for dealing with psychological health and safety. Whereas the ISO standard really breaks it down to three categories of hazards of a psychosocial nature. And then goes on to provide numerous examples of each category. Um, Just to briefly describe them, the first category is aspects of how work is organized. Uh, It defines eight areas and associated and has probably half a dozen at least examples in for each one of these areas. It also looks at uh, social factors at work, which it has 12 topics and related examples. And then it brings the work environment equipment and hazardous tasks into play. So it's a different approach to things and perhaps in a way it, it's, it's a little bit better organized to look at things from that perspective, how work is organized, social factors that impact work and the work environment. And although the 14 factors that we find in the Canadian standard are all covered under these, there are are some other aspects in there um, which which come into play. Um, Another difference between the two standards though that I think is very positive for the Canadian standard is the fact that there is a huge annex in the Canadian standard which albeit needs updating at this point in time and will be no doubt, but it provides tremendous direction to organizations as to how to move forward. It doesn't just leave them hanging there with a standard with a list of a very short list of bibliography, but quite a long number of pages. I think there's 20 odd pages in the annexes in the Canadian standard. So that's a huge difference as well. And as you mentioned, this is the Canadian standards under review. Part of that is to see where there's alignment and where there's opportunity for change.
0: Mm -hmm. Because the standard itself is um, subject to continual improvement as uh, it suggests for the employers. And I, I think it's a really positive thing that we can look at it. And I know at the fifth year anniversary, The decision was made not to change it because people were just getting used to it. They were just opening it up and looking at it. And uh, I think that the committee didn't want to pull the rug out from under those who had started. But I think now we're looking at we've learned so much because whenever you build something for the first time, uh, you are surmising, you are guessing, you are trying to be visionary, but you don't really know because it hasn't been put to the test. And then as, uh, as it gets used, you can make adjustments and improvements. And that's what I'm hoping will happen with this now. And I'm so, sure it
1: will too, because yeah. if you look back at the Canadian standard, um, you know, there, there's a certain level of maturity which can be brought into it as it moves forward.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. So Ian, is there other things that you would say, especially to um, clinicians, to physicians, to health and safety folks who are really struggling with how to embed psychological health and safety into the work that they're already doing? Um, What what advice would you have for them?
1: The the key one there is to make sure they have support in their organization to move forward uh, support from the key, key leaders in their organization, key management leaders, key labor leaders, uh, key worker organization leaders, um, and, and have these folks on board and then set up a team that's going to do the the implementation. And it doesn't have to be led by an occupational health and safety person. It could be a human resources person. It could be somebody in in the executive team that particularly has a particular interest and wants to move this forward. But you have to have that commitment and the support if you're going to make this a sustainable approach. And the other thing to do is it's fine to to think that uh, you, know, you can bring a program in and that'll solve all the problems. It won't, you have to have do the planning and you absolutely must know what the needs are in your workplace before you start implementing programs. Uh, lastly, uh, I would say that some organizations have felt that, oh, we'll implement the standard and that's it, we can tick the box, it's done. Well, standards by their very definition are not just implemented they're a continual improvement process. And you have to have that that whole cycle of continual improvement if it's going to be a successful standard.
0: Right. Very similar to what we do with health and safety now. We never say, that's it, we're done. We're, We're always scanning the environment, figuring out what needs to be improved or protected, and then making those changes. So it goes back to what you said in the very beginning, which is that, Plan, do, check, act. It's a circle. It's not a linear um, process. Once we see where it's at, we start again to continue.
1: It's it's plan, do, check,
0: act, plan, do, check, act. It's not plan, do, check, done. (laughs) Right, right. So uh, there's another concept, um, Ian, that you've brought forward before, which is the idea about psychological health and safety in the workplace having an impact beyond the workplace to communities and even to families. Can you speak a little bit about how you see that unfold?
1: Well, one one aspect and probably the simplest one that springs to mind is that, but it's not the whole picture, let me say that first, is that many organizations 30, 40, 50 years ago developed employee assistance programs and then realized that having a program that assists the employee may not necessarily get to the root of the some of the issues. For example, if there are financial issues, if there are problems with teenagers acting out, um, helping the employee does not help solve the problem. So they expanded the programs to be employee and family assistance programs. So in that way, what started as a workplace program became a a family and community-based program. The other thing that happens in implementing programs on psychological health and safety in the workplace is that there's an enhanced awareness in the community itself, um, particularly in some of the communities where uh, organizations may be the sole cause of the existence of the community. I think of remote communities, for example, mining communities, uh, smaller communities, where the existence of the, of the industry is the reason the community exists. And so if you build in uh, psychological health and safety programs uh, that are going to help the workplace, the spinoff is... That the ideas creep into the community and, and are a major factor in the community as well. Uh, it it also, the reverse is also true that I think psychological health and safety programs in a workplace make the workplace become more aware and more sensitive to the impact of family issues and of community issues on the workplace itself. And, and thus there is more accommodation to worker need. I mean, all we need to do is look at the current pandemic to realize that workplaces have had to respond to a community issue and, and deal with it from both a physical and a mental health perspective in their workplaces. So there's, you can't separate by a fence line, the community and the workplace, it, it just doesn't work especially when you're talking about mental health and psychological health and safety.
0: It doesn't work, but neither would we want it to. I can't tell you how many times we've been talking about things like communication and you know how to have um, more emotionally intelligent conversations. And people will say, oh, that could really help me at home or talking about dealing with passive aggressive behavior and somebody saying, oh, that's why I react to that family member that way. And that's so right. it, it is a positive because if my home life is better, I will probably have more energy and enthusiasm in the workplace. And so it, it is a win-win for everyone
1: yeah definitely so
0: is. Ian I just wonder are there any last um, ideas or concepts that you would like to share any last points that you'd like to bring home to the people listening
1: give it a try is is what I would say if you're not if you're not dealing with psychological health and safety in the workplace you're uh, losing out on uh, tremendous benefit for employees, for communities, and uh, for your, your organization itself. Uh, it's part and parcel of being a successful organization and a sustainable organization, I think extremely important uh, globally.
0: Okay, well, thank you so much for all of your wisdom through all of the years and, and for all the wisdom you're going to share in the future. Um, and for being here today, Ian, the entire video will be available on the Flourish DX YouTube channel, but they're going to take little clips of the most brilliant things that you said, and they'll promote that on LinkedIn. And, uh, and just to the listeners to say that they can find me on LinkedIn if they want to continue the conversation and uh, learn more about psych health and safety. So thanks very much, Ian.
1: You're welcome, Marianne. It's always a pleasure.
0: You've been listening to the Psych Health and Safety Canada podcast. To stay up to date with the best content on workplace mental health in North America, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and join the Flourish DX community at www.flourishdx.com.